Vietnam, boys. Tis Gary McGowan here and Paddy Farrell. And this is Triage Method Podcast, episode three. So today we are going to be talking a little bit about carbohydrates or lack thereof. So, you know, the whole low-carb dieting thing has gained a lot of a lot of traction in recent years. Um, maybe with some merit, maybe not. And we're going to talk about that today with a particular emphasis on, you know, a lot of you guys are trying to maybe improve your health and body composition. Um, fat loss tends to be a particular one that people focus on with low carb. And we're going to discuss that. Yes, yes, we are. Um, you did a few polls on Instagram a while ago. I don't know. I don't use Instagram. I don't waste my day like you do. Um, but uh, you have a few questions for us, Gary McGain. Yes. So I just put up a few polls just to kind of guide this conversation a little bit because I think it's important that we actually know, you know, what what your baseline kind of knowledge or understanding or, or bias is before we actually start any conversation because that allows us to lead, lead it in the right direction. So I asked, when calories are controlled for, which diet leads to greater fat loss? And 56% of people said that a low-carb diet was better and 44% of people said that a low-fat diet was better. Um, so what are your thoughts, Patty? Um, I would just ask why. Because I know, obviously, these questions, and we're big on it, they don't give us a huge amount of context. Yeah. And I'm sure you got people messaging you going, oh, like, it's neither, or it's both, yeah. or <laughs> it depends. You know, so, like, obviously, it does depend. Like, for you, at this time, maybe a low-carb diet would lead to greater fat loss because you're able to adhere to it better. Maybe, at this time, a higher-carbohydrate diet would lead to greater fat loss because you're able to adhere to it better. However, neither of those is predetermined by the actual macronutrient composition of the diet. It's more so mm-hmm. what actually allows you to actually stick to the diet. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I completely agree. And I, you know, I didn't mention adherence kind of on purpose because, you know, I want the people's understanding of the actual principles, I guess. And I think like, if you do actually, like we will talk about, well, you will talk about some of the biochemical stuff, but if you actually look on a, a kind of a higher level thinking basis, you know, a lot of the studies that maybe have been really well controlled, you know, the, the actual metabolic ward studies where adherence isn't really as questionable, it does kind of show that low fat diets tend to actually produce more fat loss. And that tends to kind of be against a lot of the, I suppose, anecdotal evidence that circulates in the industry because... I think it's probably because the fact that low carb is more of a novelty in recent years and and the high Mm. fat thing, it's more of a novelty. So it tends to be more exciting for people to talk about versus low fat, which was, I guess, more of a a government driven kind of intervention that people have fought back against. Now, it's not as you know, it's not as cool to talk about your low fat foods as it is to talk about how you're on Mm -hmm. keto, I guess. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. And I suppose it kind of we have to distinguish if you terms here and kind of explain a little bit like how do you how do you distinguish a low carb diet like that could be low for you could be high for me and vice versa you know so like generally when you hear people talking about low carb diets they're they're generally talking about like keto diets or semi keto diets as in very low uh, carbs that's essentially their definition of keto as their definition of low carb you know like it is just as minimal carbs as possible or less than 100 or less than 50 or less than some arbitrary number and that is their low carb number 
Um, and that's kind of how they're defining it. Like, I don't know, I can't even remember the, the percentage in the research they use as low carb, but it's, it's not what people generally attribute to a low carb. Yeah, diet. it's generally actually not like as much of a difference as people think about. Like, you know, sometimes low carb could be, oh, one group had 30% carbohydrates from the other calories and one group had 50, you know, and I don't think that's yeah. that's not as, as much of a polar difference as people often talk about, you know, in practice. And, and a lot of the low carb research as well, is often confounded by the fact that you're not people don't control for protein. You know, if if you drop your carbs down, mm-hmm. typically people are going to eat more protein, which is favorable very often for body composition. Um, so yeah, that's just one thing to yeah. Sure. We'll, we'll get we'll yeah. Get we'll talk about that in a minute, in a while. <laughs> in a while, but uh, yeah, for like generally, most people probably have a diet that is somewhere around. I'm just going to put an arbitrary number on it somewhere in the region of. 40 to 60 percent carbs would you agree yeah i think that's fair um um, unless they are specifically or maybe even non-specifically but going out of their way to eat a higher fat diet and i'm talking about you know general population people people in the actual fitness sphere they might have even higher carbs than that but generally it'll be more balanced in terms of they'll have enough fat and they'll have enough uh, protein as well generally like not always you know um so most people will say eating somewhere around the 50 percent mark for carbohydrates so anything lower than 40 percent anything lower than 50 percent is a low carb diet to them you know yeah um but i think the majority of people are kind of signifying a low carb diet as very low carb like minimal carbs so i i think we'll kind of discuss it with that in mind and then a high fat diet, like in terms of that, is just as low as you can with your carbs and essentially switching them out for fats. And a lot of people, they don't get this distinction when they switch to a low carb diet where they, they, they stay, they lower their carbs, but they don't actually increase their fats. Yeah. So they're, they're essentially just on a low calorie diet. Yeah. You know, they've just, rather than going from that 50%, and say 20% fats, they've just gone, stayed at the, the same grams that 20% fats gives them, and then just dropped 30% of their diet, 30% of their calories, and gone to 20% carbohydrates. So they might've been on, say, I don't know, whatever it is, 50, 60 grams of fat, and now they're down to 100 grams of carbs from their 300 previously, or whatever the percentages work out as. They've just dropped their carbohydrates rock bottom, but they haven't actually increased their fats in response to that so they're actually just reduce their overall calories yeah yeah and i think that i think that's a really important point to make because i think that's where a lot of biases start to to come from is when whether it's a a low fat or a low carb or whatever type of, of diet you you kind of jump on it's generally it generally results in a reduction in calories but whoever markets it generally doesn't talk about calories um like most most kind of fancy diets will talk about that they have the secret um, and you don't need to track calories. And essentially they just find an indirect way of you reducing your calories without tracking them. So like it's there, it's still a caloric intervention. It's still a reduction in calories, whether it's a reduction in fat, carbohydrates, or whether it's a selected food groups, maybe, you know, that's a, like gluten and things like that can be another one that mm. eliminate food yeah. groups that you typically eat. Yeah. Um, so, does a low carbohydrate diet actually lead to greater fat loss? 
No, like at the end of the day, it is going to be calories, and we'll talk a little bit about this in the, in the later half of this, where you know, it, although we are saying, oh, it's all calories, and that's what matters, that's what makes the biggest difference. Like obviously, the biochemistry behind it, the way your metabolism actually works, does make a difference in terms of the end result. But as often happens with the body, and as often happens with life, what you think you're getting versus what you're actually doing are two different things like you might be lowering your carbs going oh i'm going to be in ketosis and that's going to you know skyrocket my fat fat metabolism and i'm just going to be burning straight up fat that's like okay cool but that brings along a whole host of other problems like we were saying a second ago you know with protein you want to keep protein low because protein can kind of kick you out of ketosis again we'll discuss that in a while but you also don't want to be burning into your lean muscle or your muscle mass so you have to eat enough protein so you have to, you're playing this razor's edge which is a problem you just don't have if you're eating a, a quote-unquote normal uh, moderate to high carb diet yeah and you know? um, so anyway what was the next question i just i, I just want to kind of let's just touch on two points quickly so let's say I, i'm gonna you know i'm I like low carb diets, right? So I'm I'm just going to say that let's let's say I'm a I'm a low carb person, and I've there's been two different levels of arguments that I've kind of heard as to why a low carb diet is is good. Okay, so maybe the first one, tip people, I think people typically start off with the whole, all right, if you don't eat carbs, then you burn more fat for fuel, and you know if you don't, I think this is an important thing to clear up because if you don't understand anything about I guess nutrition or metabolism or anything, that sounds like I'm losing more fat. And it's not wrong, like you are burning more fat for fuel, but does that equal fat loss? No. <laughs> Just no. <laughs> Doesn't. No. Yeah, so I think. No. Not, well, not necessarily. Yeah. Like it is, it is an energy balance thing at the end of the day. Like I always look at it like your energy balance is like a seesaw. Like, yeah, you can go, oh, I'm, I've turned a seesaw into a fat burning seesaw and it's boom, it's working great. But if your energy in way outweighs your energy out, you know, the seesaw can't move. You know, you can't tip it in the direction that you want. Exactly. So I think, you know, maybe for some of you that haven't read into nutrition a whole pile, but you just hear those buzzwords, it's important to remember that a lot of people can trick you into doing certain things by saying that, oh, you burn more fat, but burning more fat doesn't always equal fat loss, especially if you're on a low-carb diet where you have higher fat in your diet because that fat that you're then ingesting can then replace fat that you have burnt off so again it does come down to the whole energy balance at the end of the day and then i think the 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 more higher level argument that people typically kind of jump onto when they've read a little bit and come up with a vague understanding of what certain things in the body do are that carbohydrates really release insulin insulin stores fat or stops fat burning therefore a low carb diet equals low insulin equals less body fat storage would you agree that that is kind of another thought process that people come up with unfortunately yes <laughs> um, you look angry but it just goes <laughs> it just goes down to kind of like signify the amount of bullshit that people are fed in the fitness industry mm-hmm. you know and it and it just doesn't it doesn't make a huge amount of sense when you actually understand the role of insulin um or the role of any of these hormones that people are saying, oh, this is the, the thing that you need to be looking at. Like, that's not what insulin does. Like, yes, insulin is secreted in response to carbohydrates, but insulin, although it is an easy analogy to make, is not a quote-unquote storage hormone, you know? 
like for like i always think as well i'm like people say it's a storage hormone but it's just as much a regulatory hormone as it is a storage hormone mm-hmm. like your your thyroid isn't going to be working correctly unless you have insulin to kind of, kind of signify that conversion and stuff so your metabolism itself isn't going to be working correctly without your thyroid working so if you have no insulin you know this this whole thing your metabolism i mean kind of falls apart so you can't just say oh insulin is bad well maybe one of the roles it has of energy storage we'll say is bad for you or what you think you want but as i said earlier what you think you're getting and what you're actually doing are generally two different things when it comes to the human body like it's a very complex system and if you think oh i can just manipulate this one variable and have no consequences whatsoever like you're wrong <laughs> you're just wrong <laughs> simple as like <laughs> yeah and i think i think that is really important in terms of like you know obviously you're the you're the biochemistry wizard and you know all that good stuff but i think a lot of people get a very vague understanding of what maybe hormones do and maybe how eating a certain food changes hormones and then they just kind of run away with their own story after after that vague understanding with that because really realistically if you don't actually understand how the whole system works together or you don't read maybe the end results of research you can't really just come up with some story based on one kind of buzzword and i think that's what a lot of people do so you know hormones are a bit of a a red flag i think when people talk about them a lot of the time especially if they're trying to sell you something yeah like i I can understand it because it is it's very sexy to (laughs) sell you a villain like it's like oh it's it's the insulin that's your problem and it's like i can sell you an entire program you know based on that and you're like oh well that's what i need because i was told it's it's the insulin you know that's that's the problem where that's not actually really the problem and you're you've just been sold a lot of lies but it's very almost polarizing to have to have a villain to be able to put all your resources into going oh it's this one thing that i have to control rather than going okay well i actually have to control my energy intake have to look after my lifestyle factors have to eat sleep you know drink and you know be happy and all that kind of stuff like that's a lot harder to kind of control for it and going all low carb for you mm-hmm. obviously it's so much quote-unquote sexier to be oh yeah just you just eat low carb and all your pro- problems will be solved you know so yeah like i can understand why people put so much stock or want to put so much stock and belief into say insulin as being devil but it's not necessarily the actual case anyway what was the next question or what was the next poll oh you're a good boy i was just getting horny there listening to you um anyway anyway which diet is going to give you more of the fuel required for weight training and building muscle 89 percent of people said higher carb 11 percent of people said higher fat you know, I think that's that's a pretty solid answer by those eighty nine percent of people. Would you? That's that's good. I would I would generally agree with you know carbs providing more benefit for your actual training. But this is also something that although I'm saying that I want people to kind of get clear as well that mm-hmm. if you're weight training, you don't actually need a huge amount of carbs. Like people seem to think yeah. like weight training burn burns like a million million grams of carbs in one session. It's like this is, or even calories for that, that matter. It's like you don't actually burn that much calories training. You don't actually burn through that much carbs training. And I mean resistance training. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're going out, you know, r- running for two hours, then, you know, we can talk about something else. But overall, it's not that 
energy intensive and a lot of people kind of think of that when they when we say like or anyone says oh carbs fuel your training they kind of think oh well i'm gonna have i'm gonna carb load before every single training session then you know i'm gonna have yeah, 200 grams of carbs before my session 100 grams intra workout and then 200 grams after my session it's like again at the end of the day calories are king so they are your 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 first and foremost uh, thing to be looking at you know don't be thinking even though obviously you're you're lead, that's a leading question on your behalf like you know don't be thinking it's just carbs yes. you have to be thinking okay is my energy controlled do I have enough carbs to actually be fueling what I'm trying to be fueling? Then you have to actually look at what you're actually doing. Like if you're if you're a power lifter and your entire session is composed of you know five sets of three, and you're going home after that, you know, yeah, like you, you <laughs> which is common. Don't need a huge amount of carbs. Yeah, which is like surprisingly common. You know, like you don't need a huge amount of carbohydrates to actually do well in that session. Yes, they are an easy accessible fuel but they are not the be all and end all for that training session yep absolutely um so in terms of so we're saying that you know carbohydrates are they're fueling our training but we don't need to go kind of overboard with them you know i, I think i think you hit, hit the nail on the head there in relation to powerlifters especially because i think powerlifters are classically probably quite gluttonous in terms of you know there's this kind of stigma around them you know powerlifters oh they go and eat a lot of burgers and ice cream and then go and do all this training and stuff and you know they're typically trying to ram in all these carbs with the goal of enhancing their performance even though yeah what they're doing isn't all that kind of carbohydrate demanding i guess um but in terms of the actual i guess muscle building process then so let's say we've training aside let's talk about the actual hypertrophy so actually gaining muscle so do you feel there is a role of carbohydrates outside of and their their role in insulin signaling and things like that and how that can affect hypertrophy outside of just fuel i guess like before training or whatever obviously to an extent yes like carbohydrates like we've discussed do signal insulin Mm -hmm. to be secreted and insulin is an anabolic hormone probably one of the most anabolic hormones meaning that it actually builds well builds full stop <laughs> you know that could be fat stores yeah. or it could be muscle you know um so obviously it does play a role in building muscle but like the way i always look at it like if you just eat a load you're not going to grow a load of muscle mm-hmm. you know you actually have to have a signal yeah. from training to actually induce that hypertrophic effect like that muscle building effect so i although people do kind of try to get lost in the Mm nitty-gritty of going oh well i have to have perfectly timed intra-workout post-workout carbs and all this it's like this they're kind of missing the forest for the trees like yes it may make ever so slight a difference if you're training twice a day or you're maybe even if you're training every single day you know but overall if you're training for to five times a week or three to five times a week it's not going to be the be all and end all the make or break of your program yeah you know so yes carbohydrates are definitely quote unquote essential to the muscle building process to this whole healthy lifting process but first of all the amount you need probably isn't as high as your 
you're thinking you need unless you're very active um or doing a lot of cardio in the gym like that's your activity even if it's only an hour of activity but it's all cardio based like yeah you're probably going to need more carbohydrates to refuel and replenish after that and that's kind of the biggest ones in terms of what carbohydrates are doing they're actually helping you recover and replenish for your next session Mm -hmm. you know so obviously yes they are fueling your your session as you go into it like if you're say you're training in the morning you have your breakfast which is a high carb meal like that's going to fuel your training obviously um but it's more so the recovery process and actually rebuilding the muscle that that carbs are helping with like to an extent yep fair enough um so i think that cleared that up carbs are good for muscle building carbs are good for fueling your training but you don't need to be slamming down 10 pop tarts pre and post training in order to get those effects okay then actually yeah we we said it earlier as well a bit like you know, powerlifters being like quite, quite gluttonous to me, it doesn't make any sense in my head. I'm like, if powerlifting, if anything should be the sport where you're like, it's a neurologically driven yeah. sport, right? So your nervous system is what is allowing you lift heavier weights. So there's also weight classes. So unless you are in the super heavyweights, like you're wearing, weighing like 140 kilos plus, and you're trying to hang with the big dogs, like it makes sense for you to be as light as possible while being as strong as yep. possible. You know, like you should be pretty much shredded. Like the only, the only downside to being shredded is you actually have to be very strong on your, your bench press because you don't have, you know, 10 centimeters of fat <laughs> to, to cushion, to, to cushion the actual bench pressing process, you know? So, to me, it makes more sense to be absolutely shredded <laughs> if you're a powerlifter. With, with like, not properly, like yeah, with it. Like if you were, if you, if you would think that you have like weight classes, like it's like okay, well, I want to be like shredded within that weight class. I'm not talking about like you know bodybuilding, yeah, yeah, shredded, yeah. Like five, six Like I'm talking like you know visible abs, a little bit of veinage going on yeah. through the abs. <laughs> you know, like you look at all the actual like best powerlifters outside of the super heavyweight class. And they're all shredded. Yeah. Like you look at someone like, well, even like Dan yeah. Green or Dan something. Green, Larry you know, Wheels, like, they're all pretty jacked. Like, <laughs> like they're they're shredded. Now, obviously, they're all on that that their secret sauce. Um, but even still, like you look at natural powerlifters, like the best ones are like shredded. Like even look at like Lane Norton yeah. and stuff when he was, you know, running the roost and what was he in the ninety two, ninety three, yeah, whatever it is. Um, like shredded. Like I'm not talking, you know, bodybuilding lean, but like very lean yeah. like proper six-pack abs and stuff you know so to me it makes more sense for for powerlifters <clears throat> to to be quite lean yeah, but I, now obviously you still have to fuel training but this is where people kind of go again what we were saying like they think oh well i did a uh, five sets of three and they were really intense and they were really hard so you know i need uh, that thousand grams of carbs <laughs> now to make up for that yeah and i think i think one of the reasons that i suppose getting lean and dropping down weight classes isn't very popular in powerlifting is because people go about it the wrong way. Like what they try and do is diet down into their competition. So, you know, they start doing their most difficult training while they're dieting. But I suppose what me and you were talking about are, is actually maintaining a lean physique long-term so that you're actually, you know, you're going into that, to that meat or whatever lean and maybe increasing your calories or having adequate calories as opposed to crushing yourself with a diet as you go into it, which probably isn't optimal for performance. Um, but yeah, the next question, 
um, was in relation to keto. So I said the ketogenic diet leads to far greater fat loss and allows you to lose more fat while eating far more calories. 24% of people said that was true, which was fairly low, I guess, uh, but still something worth addressing considering I think a lot of people probably don't know what keto is. Um, they just have this association that you get to eat loads of bacon and butter and lose fat as it's kind of, you know, marketed and bulletproof co coffees and all that. But uh, what's the crack with keto? What's going on? Why does this exist? What does it do? I don't know, man. You tell me. Why, why do you think people have this perception that keto is a magical diet? Well, firstly, I think it's because I think I think the, the novelty is what gives people the kind of buy in, you know, so people get this idea that, oh, cool, I can eat all these fatty foods, getting all this peanut butter, all this dark chocolate and all that good stuff. And I can lose a lot of body fat. So as soon as you kind of impose any sort of like restriction that is quite extreme on a diet, it's a case of survivorship bias thereafter. So, you know, if you can actually really stick to it, and you can, you know, just adhere to it long term, you're going to get you're going to get pretty good results. And especially with keto, because it's like, it's it's not hard to overeat, but it's kind of harder than it would be if you had a much wider selection of foods. Because although it may seem attractive to, you know, eat a whole thing of cheese or whatever, you're probably not going to do it realistically. So you are very limited in your in your food choices. Um, because it is kind of, low to moderate protein and very very high fat and pretty much close to no carbohydrates you're limited in your ability to overeat and i don't think binge eating or that sort of thing is going to be as common um would you agree i think that's kind of just the adherence yeah, side of things think, anyway yeah well I, I would agree with you in that and i think a lot of the reasons people kind of go towards a ketogenic diet is because it makes them feel better yeah. and, and i don't mean that just in terms of you know, it's easier to stick to because a ketogenic dieting, if it's done correctly, is quite hard to it stick is. to, you know, in terms of like, you're, you're, you're very limited in your food selection. You just like, it's very hard to kind of eat outside of the diet, mm -hmm. you know, whereas like if you're eating a higher carbohydrate diet, it doesn't even have to be that high. It's very easy to go outside of the realms of what your diet dictates. Like if you're like at a restaurant, you're like, Oh, I'll have, you know, whatever this carb rich meal, it's very easy to overeat there. Whereas if you're like, oh no, I have to be very, very careful of how much, you know, carbohydrates I'm getting in, in my diet, you, you won't be choosing these hyper palatable foods, even though obviously it's very like hyper palatable to get some butter in or bacon or whatever, you know, it, it's not as easy or the opportunities to get that in aren't as high as say, you know, going down and eating a donut, you know? Mm -hmm. So the... I don't even think that's an adherence thing. And I think this is more so a thing where it's, it's just easier to actually stick to the diet. And I don't mean fully ad adherence as in your consciously thinking about it. I just mean, it's very easy to stick to, Oh, I just don't eat carbs. Yeah. It's just you know, a... like, you just, you just don't think of them, you know, it's so much easier overall to kind of have that framework than having, an, an all-inclusive diet where you can just eat anything you want like you almost have the paradox of choice and then someone offers you a bagel here and you're like oh yeah i'll have that and it doesn't stick with your overall day so a lot of people find that when they switch to keto that helps them stick to the diet and um, 
but also a lot of people are used to eating the same foods and a lot of these foods might not actually be foods that agree with them like a lot of people have you know intolerances or i hate the words but like allergies to uh some foods and and they eat them every day and they don't know they don't understand how much this is actually a drain on their overall system um and then when they go keto and they cut all these foods out all of a sudden all that brain fog they had and all that that chronic inflammation they had kind of drops off and, and they feel great you know so they're like oh well keto is the diet for me i've never had this much energy when it, it was just because you didn't have your other diet set up correctly either so it's not like they're comparing both a, an isocaloric diet in terms of just the calories but then an, an iso setup diet in terms of you know they're not eating the same foods they've just cut out a whole host of foods that are potentially inflammatory to their system and i don't mean they have like fully or like full allergic reactions to them but they could just be eating the same foods over and over again and they have some sort of you know leaky gut syndrome even though you know i don't really like that term either um they could just have some undigested proteins in their actual bloodstream and stuff and it's it's causing some sort of immunological reaction to it you know so that's a huge thing that I, I feel is missing from the whole conversation where people kind of discuss keto that it, it, it's both a, an adherence thing and then also a perception thing i suppose you'd call it because obviously like the information is there it's real and, and it can technically go down and stuff but i i feel that's a lot of the stuff that people are kind of kind of missing out on when they when they talk about keto and why people are able to eat so much because they they perceive that they are eating so much compared to what they used to be eating Mm -hmm. when in reality they used to be eating more but their selection is so low now that they can't actually be eating a huge amount of food so even though it feels like oh yeah I'm, i'm eating loads and yeah whatever my calories are all high and in reality it's not like your calories were higher when you were eating high carb mm-hmm. you just weren't accounting for them all. yeah you know? um so i feel like that's a lot of it but well, let's get into some actual biochemistry like what's actually happening i'm gonna even say low carb we'll say keto but in that whole thing like what's happening when you switch from say a, a higher carbohydrate diet to more of a a ketogenic diet and why it's not all just fats and carbohydrates and protein does matter so like when you get the breakdown of fatty acids whether it's you know stored fatty acids or from the bloodstream being transported around goes through you know beta oxidation and then you've got these acetyl groups and then it goes to like acetyl coenzyme a and then that enters into the TCA cycle or the citric acid cycle or the Krebs cycle or whatever you want to call it. I always call it the TCA cycle. So you've got this acetyl coenzyme A entering into the citric acid cycle or the TCA and it's going around that cycle and it's producing energy. Okay. You get all this electrons and moving around with hydrogen and all this kind of stuff that goes on. But at the end of the day, at the other side of it, you've got energy. Okay. So think of it. Acetyl groups come in, they go around, they get used up, they, the uh, TCA cycle breaks down, 
the single bonds between those carbons and you get straight up energy, right? So that's what happens when you burn fat. But what is often left out of the conversation is to have that acetyl coenzyme or to have those acetyl groups enter into the TCA cycle, you need oxaloacetate, okay? Now, this is, this is why people both fail a ketogenic diet and also have some of their markers of ketogenesis as backwards. So when you get, when you eat carbohydrates or you eat protein, you are supplying that TCA cycle with oxaloacetate, okay? So you've got it from either pyruvate um, or you've got it from the mainly malate dehydrogenase, which is part of the TCA cycle itself, you know? So it's converting malate into oxaloacetate kind of. Um, and that's allowing those fatty acids to be burnt, or sorry, those acetyl groups to be burnt in the TCA cycle. So you may have heard people say before that, you know, fat burns in the flame of carbohydrates. You know, you have to eat some carbohydrates to actually burn fats, which is very true. However, it's not 100% accurate. You need to have a source of oxaloacetate to burn those acetyl groups. Okay. So I know it gets kind of, kind of confusing. You're kind of going, okay, like I can understand a little bit. We can give a practical summary at the end. It'll be fine. Go ahead. Well, what's happening then is you've got a source of oxaloacetate from protein. Okay. You've also got a source of oxaloacetate from carbohydrates. Now, most people attack this from the carbohydrate side. So they reduce carbohydrates down, but and they may even increase fats. So they've got, they stay the exact same calories and all they do is drop carbs, increase fats. Protein stays the same, right? But that doesn't solve the whole equation because protein is also a source of oxaloacetate, okay? So you have protein feeding into that and you're still able to burn those acetyl groups, but you're not technically in full ketogenesis. And I'll, I'll talk about why that's technically a misnomer itself. Um, so <clears throat> you've got protein in that equation. So this is why people say, oh, you have to eat low protein as well to get the full benefit of a ketogenic diet, right? So you reduce your protein then, and again, you increase your fats more again. So say you're on now less than 50 grams of carbohydrates and you're on 0.8 to one gram per pound of protein, right? And excuse me, the rest of your diet is all fatty acids or sorry, fats. So you have a very high fat diet, low to moderate, low protein really diet and very low carbohydrate diet. People go, okay, now you're in a ketogenic diet because those two sources of oxaloacetate are gone, right? Now, this is a, a, a huge problem from two respects. So first of all, you've got your protein coming in and now all of a sudden there's no, that was almost like a backup for your oxaloacetate stores, right? Now you've no protein. So you, your body is very smart and it'll find protein where it needs it, you know? So that TCA cycle can can run in reverse. So it can make, uh, like it can go through gluconeogenesis and it can make uh, amino acids if it needs to. So your body will find those 
find the source of oxaloacetate. It'll find the source of amino acids, even if it has to make them itself or and break down your muscle stores, break down you know your organs. It, it'll find a way to get the amino acids that it needs. You know, so it's very smart that way. <clears throat> and again, you can't really trick the body. So you won't really be in a ketogenic diet if you, or you will be in a ketogenic diet, but it's probably not what you want because it is quite muscle wasting. And a lot of people go, oh, but ketones are muscle sparing. Yeah, but that's only if you have enough oxaloacetate that you don't get gluconeogenesis going on. So you have to do a lot, and I mean a lot of experimenting to kind of find the level where you're not eating too much protein, but you're also not eating too low protein that you've, so you're not eating too much protein that you're kicked out of, uh, or you've got too much oxaloacetate in the system and you're not eating too low protein that you're burning into your own muscle tissue. So like, you're probably getting confused already listening to this. Now imagine trying to figure this out yourself going, oh, well, is, is it 200 grams too much for me? Is is 80 grams too little, you know, where, where do I, where do I fall on this? You know, so that's a huge thing where you really have a lot of playing around with to really get that, that right. You know, then the other thing is people often use, you know, blood ketones or even urinary ketones as a marker of how deep they are in, in the ketogenic rabbit hole. And they're like, Oh, my, my ketones are really, really high in my blood. Like that's exactly what you do not fucking want. You know, like imagine that in the reverse. Imagine you going to me, oh yeah, my blood glucose was sky high <laughs> all the time. It's great. Like it's fucking retarded, you know? Like that's not what you want. You want to have, you know, the, the ketones being used. If your blood ketones are super high, that just signifies that you're not, a, you're not using those ketones, which means that those ketones aren't feeding into that TCA cycle, which means you don't have enough oxaloacetate, which means you're at a, a severe risk of muscle loss if your ketones are super high, you know? So like that is exactly what you do not fucking want, <laughs> you know? So obviously you want to keep that, if you are going through a ketogenic diet, like you want to keep it at, at, at an average to low kind of ketone level in your blood. But this also kind of signifies or typically, typifies what what people don't actually understand what they're looking for with a ketogenic diet like if it's purely just to get the benefit of ketones like a lot of people go oh well i feel more mentally astute when i have <coughs> you know when, when i'm on a ketogenic diet you know it's like okay well is it the ketones doing it? like yes yeah, the ketones doing that like you can go have high ketones in your blood have high ketones bathing in your brain and i actually like for, for me, like I do it every single morning, I have some MCT oil and oats and man, I feel like supercharged. You know, it's like your brain has the best of both worlds. It has ketones and it has carbohydrates and it feels great, you know, but I'm still not in a ketogenic diet. But at that, at that time, my ketones are probably pretty high because it's first thing in the morning, your ketones are already higher, you know, because you've been essentially fasting overnight and and then I'm putting in a source, medium chain, medium chain triglycerides are essentially a source of ketones. Um, and it, it's, it's essentially bathing my brain in this huge amount of energy substrate. So it feels great. And I can understand why people want to be in a ketogenic diet because glucose can kind of leave you feeling a bit 
down in the dumps afterwards you can kind of feel a bit drowsy and stuff for other reasons but ketones don't generally give you that so there is no inherent benefit of just being on a ketogenic diet outside of it being an easier diet to stick to like you can still get some of the benefits or the benefits that are attributed to it by having like sources of mcts in your in your diet like you could have some coconut oil in your diet this is why a lot of people jumped on that coconut oil bandwagon going oh yeah it's great it's it's great like i would probably prefer an actual source of mcts like mct oil or something if that is what you're looking for but overall to kind of bring it back a ketogenic diet is a really fucking hard diet to actually set up correctly like it's not just oh i'm gonna eat just enough protein and then i'm just gonna eat high fat and low carb like that's it's way beyond that and it's very and i mean very hard to actually get it correctly like get it correctly set up so you're actually getting the benefits and none of the the downfalls of it so like unless you're you're well versed in your ketogenic diet like i wouldn't i wouldn't attribute a, a high carb or sorry a, a low carb diet to being inherently better sweet that was a nice little holistic discussion um have you ever actually tried a ketogenic diet yourself yeah it's good crack like but <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't use it when i would i would be under huge amount of stress i wouldn't use it if i was really pushing training uh i wouldn't use it generally if i was general pop like sometimes a little bit of like cyclic ketogenesis can be can be good to kind of break a few habits you know if you want to try like almost a, a ketogenic diet for two weeks to kind of quote unquote get rid of that sugar addiction you know where again like it's, it's very easy to adhere to if you're just like okay well no i'm not gonna carbs aren't part of my diet like it's very easy to kind of break a few old habits and then start introducing more carbs again after after you've done that two-week period you know so like it's very good for that but for the majority of people no nah, i just i wouldn't recommend it like maybe if you're a student like i can understand why say you know entrepreneurs or something where it's like i don't want to have to think about eating mm -hmm. at all i can understand why they would do it because it's quite a suppressive diet like there was a study that had people i want to say it was even with pasta well i could be remembering it wrong but they had people eat carbs in the morning and then they had them eat mct oil with the carbs like they did it a few different ones like i can't remember the actual study but i'm pretty sure it was pasta but you know don't quote me on that i'm pretty sure they had them eat pasta in the morning with mct oil and then they had eat pasta with like you know fucking tomato so just extra carbs and then pasta with uh some other fat source maybe anyway there's a few different uh, trials on it and every single time the mct oil led to a suppression of hunger so like ketogenic diets in and of themselves are more suppressive of hunger so again that kind of brings it back to like people saying oh i can eat loads but they're basing that purely on their their hunger levels they're not actually tracking calories and it's like okay so you feel like you're eating more but you're actually you've just got your hunger suppressed so you're not actually eating a huge amount <laughs> you know so i can understand why you know entrepreneurs or people that are like really really busy would potentially be drawn to a ketogenic diet but like don't 
don't be bullshitting yourself and thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to be able to push training and I'm going to be able to push all my, my cognitive abilities while eating a ketogenic diet. Like you're not going to be able yeah. to. Yeah. And I like, I've done it myself in the past as well. And like, I suppose anecdotally, like one of the biggest things I would notice. And I think that a lot of people would report themselves is that like you can train, you just can't get into like fifth gear, you know? So if you're doing low like maybe low rep strength training sure it's fine you're probably going to get away with it just fine but if you're working maybe in the 10 to 12 rep range and you're trying to really accumulate as much volume as you can ugh, you don't really have that 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 glucose and that glycogen available to fuel what is as we said a carbohydrate demanding task um so yeah it, like for me it was the case of maybe losing one or two reps which in the grand scheme of things long term is kind of meaningful like you know um if your goal is to gain muscle um so yeah i think we can kind of sum that up by saying that the ketogenic diet would we recommend it no not in general personally i don't have any clients on a ketogenic diet at the moment do you no so like i mean i don't see why anyone in the general population would restrict themselves so severely especially when it makes basic socializing quite challenging you know if you want to go out for if you want to go out for a meal like what do you ask for like oh can i have half a steak and loads and loads and loads of butter because if i have a full steak it'll go over my protein like it's like fuck you know that's that's difficult um and especially because a lot of our audience are young like you don't want to be kind of going to college and not be able to maybe pick up a piece of fruit or whatever um as a quick snack because you're like oh shit no i can't have this and oh i can't have almonds either because they have too many carbs you know <laughs> it's it's a tough one and yeah, like it's pretty it actually is like that. ridiculously restrictive like i remember eating like chicken breast and then loads of chorizo and like olive oil and, like just these stupid meals <laughs> like like what i would used to eat was be like you know the 20 percent fat mints and that was pretty yeah. much it. and the rest is just like like vegetables and fucking like added butter. Yeah. <laughs> and all your meals look so small as well because you kind of like, you yeah. kind of have to, to degree restrict your vegetables as well. So you're kind of, oh yeah, like you're kind of just eating like small little bit of edge and then this small little pocket of this big fatty meat. <laughs> Not ideal. Good crack it's good, good crack though. Good crack is right. Um, so yeah, keto, ugh, it's a no in most cases um unless maybe you have some sort of neurological condition that a dietitian is managing for yeah, you no, like that like that 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 makes sense i actually didn't mention yeah. that but if you have something like you know uh what's the thing where you have epilepsy seizures epilepsy yeah epilepsy uh if you have epilepsy oh jesus fucking christ if you're not on a ketogenic diet you're shooting yourself in the fucking foot like yeah you know, like that's perfect for that like and there's, there's some research that suggests that it would be even good for you know, like Alzheimer's and stuff like that. But, you know, now obviously that's way outside of our wheelhouse. Like we're just talking about, you know, gen pop, you know, if that's something you should be consulting with, you know, a registered dietitian that, and someone who actually knows what they're talking about, not two retards yeah. on fucking Google, <laughs> Google Hangouts chatting to each other, you know? Uh, <laughs> and so like a hundred percent, those kind of neurological conditions could potentially benefit from a ketogenic diet, you know? So, from a medical perspective, there are uses for it. But for if you're just like, oh, yeah, I want to look a little bit better on the beach, you know, I've got holidays coming up or, you know, whatever. Uh, I just want to be generally healthy. And there's no, literally no reason for you to be on a ketogenic diet. Yeah. 
So yeah. Um, anyway, can we actually just make that point quickly? Can we, can we make this point quickly as well? Because I think, like me and you, are like we're we're into science and we're into healthcare, but at the same time, we know where our wheelhouse lies. And I think that in like the last five years or so, people in relation to nutrition, maybe they've done like a short course or they read something, they start putting out this information. Like you know, people say that oh, keto is great for cancer and stuff, and it's and it's and or maybe they're promoting gut healing diets or whatever for IBS and all this stuff and it's like what you have to realize is that as a personal trainer a lot of these very very complex medical conditions are not even fully understood by doctors or gastroenterologists or oncologists that have trained for decades so like I really don't I really think people need to kind of understand where the end of their wheelhouse is because it can be attractive to be like oh this could work for this healthcare condition or whatever but you don't really understand it so i think that's an important point yeah like a hundred percent that one as well like, always gets me like the ketosis for you know cancer i'm always so tired like, oh, like what are we going to talk about like the we're going to talk about like the warburg effect here now and like you know like how cancer cells are you know more on an arcane system and they're they're essentially using fermentation for their their survival and it's like okay yeah we're gonna talk about that and they're like no i don't know any of that i was like okay well how are you gonna have an educated conversation presumably that's what you're talking about when you're saying a ketogenic diet can help cure cancer and they're like oh no i just heard it's really good and the doctors just don't want you to know it's like this, this is oh i hate that shit like like i always think it's actually like it's so disrespectful to doctors oh. like yeah okay you might you might go into your, your general practice or whatever and your your gp might not be up to date on all of the subtle nuances of the the, the most up-to-date research on whatever whatever condition you're going mm-hmm. in for but that's not their job their job is to go in and go i have a very very broad understanding of a huge i mean a fucking huge amount they're basically a fucking encyclopedia yeah. they have a huge understanding you know basic understanding of a huge variety of things and their job as a gp is essentially to go okay look you need a specialist you know, yeah. you need to see this person. That's essentially their job. But that's a GP's job is to go, this is outside my wheelhouse. You know, this isn't just your your general flu. This isn't just, you know, a fucking pulled muscle or whatever the fuck. You know, this is, you've got, you know, cancer here. We're going to send you to an act, someone who is actually dealing with cancer as their speciality. You know, and you can argue the, the benefits and the merits and all of having specialists versus having, you know, generalists. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like I want, I want the fucking best person Absolutely. to be treating me. Like I don't want someone who goes, Oh yeah. Like on Mondays, I, you know, I treat knees and on Tuesdays I treat spines. And on, you know, on Wednesdays I, I treat eyes, and on, <laughs> you know, on Thursdays, you know, I don't want, I don't want, I fucking don't want that. I want someone who goes, Oh yeah. Like you see that you broke your spine, Patrick. Yeah. I've actually done fucking 6,000 of these operations. You're in good hands. Like that's what I want. I want someone who literally knows my spine, knows spines better than anything else. You know, so you do want a specialist. So don't be looking at it as like, oh, my GP, whose job it is, is to be, you know, general. Like, don't be looking at it as there to be all and end all. Like, that, that's not their speciality. But also, I think it's really dis- disrespectful when people, especially if you've done like, you know, a fucking six-week online course or something in nutrition to just piss all over the medical field. And it's like, these people... Like if you know any doctors or you know like any of your friends or anything that are studying medicine, like they they fucking put in work. Fucking like work, man. It is. Like, <laughs> it's impressive. 
like it's fucking like we think we put in work like they put in fucking work like they not only have to <clears throat> put all of their own goals on hold for whatever seven years is it whatever yeah it's it fucking is, nuts you know like all of their own goals on hold like no you think oh yeah i'll just go to the gym nah fam not happening like you've got fucking 70 hours of study to do today you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like the amount of work that goes into becoming a, a doctor, even if it's just a GP, you know, and I say even just a GP, but even if it is to become a GP, is a huge, huge investment of their time and their resources. You know, like they've put in so much study, so much work to be, become a doctor. You know, I don't think that you can morally or ethically say that, oh, I did six weeks of study in this you know, very generalized thing and you, you've just barely got a grasp on fucking rates, <laughs> and you're like, oh, I know better than you. Like, yeah, but it's just, like it's, oh, it just fucking grinds my gears. You know, when you see those things on Facebook that are like, doctors are lying to you and all these fucking retardants. They don't want, they don't want, you, want to you to know. Like, oh, oh man. Like, the even the cancer thing, like, if you, like, some of the, like, one of the guys that was kind of the head proponent of that, like, he, like, he basically kind of, cherry picked a little bit some studies on cancer but it was kind of extrapolated to the point where like people didn't realize that oh so you mean all cancers are kind of different and in different places their their metabolism is different and sometimes they're actually opposite so some people that were taking that advice for for a ketogenic diet actually got sicker from that advice so like it's fucking dangerous and it's i think it's a very important point to make that you know doctors do want you to know okay (laughs) they're not hiding the cure for cancer and they're not hiding all these magic cures that personal trainers have the secret to so you know and that's coming from like the way go ahead the way i always look at it i'm like oh like these doctors like their family get sick with cancer too yeah if they're fucking hiding, if they were hiding the cure, like doctors get sick with fucking cancer. Like if they were hiding the cure, they're fucking shooting themselves. <laughs> in the like. I always think as well, like you know, like the way they say that. Um, oh no, they're hiding it. It's like, man, if they found the cure, do you know how much money Pfizer would fucking give them if they fucking sold them the secret medication that cure cancer? <laughs> It'd be, it'd be... Also, like you think about it, people, people can hardly hold a fucking secret till lunch. I know. Like, you can't, well, thousands, millions of people are just organized in this highly organized system where it's like, oh yeah, we can actually, you know, keep this away from everyone from even having a hint of this. You know, like that's not to say like some things aren't put on the the long finger that could potentially be beneficial yeah. because there's a more there's a more we'll say financial incentive with another drug. Mm-hmm. You know, like there are obviously like cancer cells to some degree do go on that Warburg effect. Like they do work on fermentation and stuff, like not all of them, but some of them. And there are treatments to help that. And that is to an extent what, you know, chemotherapeutics do to an extent, like they do starve cells and they do obviously kill rapidly dividing cells as well. Like I always think it's actually fucking really cool. Like, you know, mustard gas is how we originally came up with chemotherapeutics and it was because the, the Americans were stockpiling it, I believe, uh, when they weren't supposed to be stockpiling it during World War Two, and when their ships got blown up, I believe, outside Japan, um, and it just obviously had a lot of mustard gas in it, and they went into all the sea and everything, and all the sailors that jumped out of the boat that got they got sick and everything, and essentially they just had all their hair falling out, and you know their their white blood cells were dying and everything, and they sent doctors over to kind of go and scientists to go, what the fuck is going on with these guys? And they essentially found out that. Uh, you know, mustard gas kills rapidly dividing cells. 
And so it was a good chemotherapeutic then. <laughs> in. You know? So like it's like the whole cancer thing is fucking fascinating. But what I mean to say with all this kind of talk is, you know, like obviously there is therapeutics out there that could potentially help with that. But the reason they're stalled is because they, they want to make sure they actually work. Like they want to go through human trials, yes. not just, oh, well, here's, here's some Petri dishes that, uh, you know, we killed some cancer cells in like that's that's fucking nothing who cares a shit like i can literally just you know take them out of fucking agar and they'll die like you know <laughs> like it doesn't fucking matter like you can kill anything in a petri dish you know and um, it has to be in a living human and not just fucking rats you know? yeah and that, that actually is one point i really did want to make about the whole you know people often get really excited when they find some mechanism that could potentially help some healthcare condition or whatever, some medical condition or whatever. But what people don't realize is that the principles of like evidence-based medicine that lead people to finding effective treatments, like require things to go through 10 to 20 years of testing before they're actually put into practice. And and like, that is unfortunate, but the reality is that it's not the doctor's fault and it's not the researcher's fault because they have to apply for a grant, which could take a couple of years to do the initial research, maybe in, as you said, Petri dishes or whatever. And then they have to apply that to rodent models and then they have to apply it to human models. And then that has to be kind of extensive or whatever. And like that takes well over a decade in a lot of cases, if not longer, whether with any sort of intervention. So, you know, you can't just jump the gun just because there's some potential mechanism because that's what has led to, you know, disasters in healthcare in the past. Um, what was the what was the drug for pregnant women? Um, oh, what was it called? Thalidomide. Thalidomide, yeah. So, like, like people, they got all excited about that. And it, it was, you're the, you're the biochemist, but basically they gave people the wrong stereoisomer of the... Nah, like it, it converts. It doesn't actually, like they get, there's two isomers of it. And regardless, like it's actually one of the ones they, they always use to talk about stereoisomers mm-hmm. or different isomers of drugs, because like in the body, it actually isomerizes anyway. So it doesn't fucking matter. They can give you the perfect form anyway, and you still get the bad form. But essentially it was given to women as a cure for morning sickness but it was tetragenic and it caused like a lot of birth defects in a load of children you know so you do want to have people with like very extensive like human trials rather than just going oh well yeah i'll just fucking read this blog on you know <laughs> yeah, put it into practice go, oh yeah that's what i'll do and, that, and that's not to say like there are obviously cases like i don't know if you ever saw that movie lorenzo's oil no i didn't Right, well, anyway, it's about a guy, I don't know, the kid has some fucking neurodegenerative thing wrong with him or some shit. Anyway, he can't use, <laughs> he can't make a certain, he can't make a certain type of fatty acid. I want to say it's an omega-6 fatty acid, but anyway. Um, and he couldn't make it. And the doctors were like, well, I don't know what we can do for you. And his parents and his dad, I think it was, kind of just went through a load of medical research, found out what it was. And he, they essentially just started supplementing them with, you know, certain fatty acids. And he got better to an extent, obviously. Um, so, like, I'm not saying, like, experimentation and research isn't good. Like, if you have a condition or a medical condition, yeah, fucking learn everything you can about it. But, like, talk to someone who's actually educated. Like, don't just read, like, Mercola's website or some shit and go, Oh yeah, like that's exactly what I should be doing. It's it's a uh, you know alkaline water. I need. You know, <laughs> it's like, a it's secret. Yeah, but to be fair, like you know, if I had no. if I had cancer and I was dying, man, I would fucking do everything that could possibly work. You know, but that's that's your own kind of 
personal thing, but it doesn't mean doctors are going to start fucking being like, oh yeah, here, smoke yeah. a load of weed or whatever else the blogs are saying to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but even that, like, you know, like the whole cannabis oil and stuff, like there is always smoking so much yeah. in this. But, but it's like, like, don't be jumping the gun yet. Like, and I obviously, like, that's easy for me to say, like, don't jump the gun when I'm sitting here in my nice fucking warm house and this person who has fucking stage fucking four cancer yeah. is like, oh, well, you know, I have no fucking choices other than this. Like, obviously, they're going to be more inclined to jump the gun, you know? Yeah. But yeah, that was, a, that, that was a good little tangent. People love that shit. Um, but yeah, respect to all the doctors. That's just kind of our point that we wanted to make because yeah, they they're fucking, they're mad they fucking do work hard. Like, And I don't think people appreciate how much work you have to put in to understand so many different fields, you know? Um, so yeah, respect. But anyway. And then also to actually like the fucking, the shifts the doctors do as well. Fucking like, nuts. Mad, like. like I'm working in the hospital at the moment and it's like a fucking cozy little get in at half eight, home by half four. But man, the doctors are around all day long with the student doctors and they're fucking studying all day and we just have this luxury of being like, oh yeah, I'm just going to test the strength in your ankle. <laughs> like, like fuck, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, um, will we will we will we close it off, or do you want to go ahead with questions? What time have we? That was still. Uh, we've done a, uh, a one hour. That was that was fairly tasty. Like I think you, you people have a good understanding of their low carb diets. We did actually have a yeah a question from Kevin Dunn to close. Wait, just before before we go on to that, go ahead. do you think people understand understood what I was talking about? when I was talking about oxaloacetate and all that. Or Not a hope. did it just go everyone, over everyone's head? definitely went over everyone's head. Because I, I was like, oh, like, is this just stupid? And then I was like, ah, fuck it, like, we'll say it all anyway. Yeah, but still, it, it's good. I actually, I think that it is important that you go deep to give a proper, thorough explanation of things because then it's when, when you bring it back out, it kind of does make a bit more sense and it shows that you've thought about it as opposed to saying, oh, no, we don't like keto diets. And then it's like, what? The, you know we have no reason for it so i think that's useful um yeah, you're a good fair. boy that's fair um but yeah <laughs> this is a good this is a question thank you Massa. this you. is a good question <laughs> and i i think we will just associate with the, us with this at this point and like we are nice people but kevin said what top t- top t- yeah t- i have the tiniest anyway no, th- no, shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> i have the tiniest anyway uh what are our top three reasons that we hate? I, I did never say I hated it. The snowflake generation. We are the snowflake generation. I'm not. I fucking am. I'm literally in the right in the center of, of that fucking. Era. Yeah, you're a degenerate. Yeah, exactly. You know. Um, go on. Uh, top top three reasons: uh, no personal accountability. You know, yes. every everything is someone someone else's <laughs> fault. You know, like I like I grew up. And like I read a load of books, you know, and like I, I don't like I don't have the fucking best brain in the world or anything like that. But you know, I went out and took the time to educate myself, and then for people to go, oh, like yeah, yeah, that's cool, that's just privilege. I was like, this is that's fucking retarded. Fucking retarded. This is clearly, clearly my own hard work. Um, yeah, like the lack of personal accountability and responsibility. The feeling of having rights with no responsibilities yes. like you're you're entitled you're entitled to something on someone else's work 
Um, and then also the, well, with that point, like the other disrespect, like every single right you, you have was, you know, created on the backs of men and women willing to die in war. You know, like you think, oh, it's a fundamental right to be free. Yeah, like that's because people fucking died for that. You know, they actually fought and were killed to protect your right to be free. So, you know, you don't, like, there's a responsibility that goes along with having rights. Like, they're not just given, they're earned, you know? And there was another one I had as well. The victim mentality. Now, well, that's the same thing as not taking, like, personal Yeah, I suppose it is, yeah. Like, that's, like, it's just blaming external yeah, things like, for oh, well, like, your problems. It, it's just, oh, it's not, nothing to me, like, you know, it's like cultural Marxism, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, well, everyone's in a big group. There's no individuality except we're all individual as well, <laughs> which makes no sense. That. Oh, that, was, that was my third, my third thing. Like people don't logically think out their entire arguments and like they don't logically look at counterpoints or they don't rationalize it. Essentially, they, they just purely use their emotions yes. to dictate. Like I'd say we always go on, like, don't eat like a... a fucking child or whatever and it's like that's essentially what people are doing they're just looking at food purely for in the moment like they do this test with young children where it's like oh delayed gratification it's like oh well here's a a cookie or whatever Mm -hmm. in front of you don't eat this cookie don't eat this cookie and i'll be back in 10 minutes and if you haven't eaten that cookie i'll give you two cookies you know um and like children you know they want to delay that gratification go i'm not going to eat that cookie because there's a future reward in terms of I'll be able to get two cookies, you know? So they don't eat the cookie. Some of them don't. Some of them do. And I feel like the, the snowflake generation or the generation or are the people that just take that cookie and have no eye towards the consequences in the future. And it's like, well, I'm hungry now. I'm just going to eat that, that cookie. And, you know, I don't care about the future. You know, I don't care that I could get two cookies. They're, they're looking for immediate gratification rather than delayed gratification. Like, even though the chance of the future could be better. They're like, no, I don't care about it. I want to think about it now. And this is how their entire arguments are set up. You know, it's like, like I always think it's re- really funny, like in, in college and stuff now, people are like, oh, well, college should be free. And it's like, college is three grand. Now, three grand is a lot of money. But at the same time, like that's after it's already been paid yeah. for, you know, <clears throat> so it should be like, Grand. Yeah, fuck it. I think you they know, should so, increase the price. You wouldn't have all these people doing fucking arts degrees then. No offense. Yeah, well, this 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 is this is an argument, but at the same time, it's like that just leads to an entire country that is undereducated. Then, yeah. You know, like what you have to actually do in that system is then actually go. Like, I I think it's 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 really bad. Like, essentially, humans evolved because we have a better movement capacity than any other any other animal on Earth. So we have better movement capacity. We also have because of that better movement capacity, the ability to talk, like we can move our tongue and our mouth and stuff in a way that we can actually communicate very effectively. And then we also evolved because, you know, we had, essentially we were smarter, you know, we could control and think about, conceptualize, you know, delaying our gratification today. Mm -hmm. And we can think into the future and go, you know, maybe, you know, winter is coming. And maybe if I save some of this carcass and some of these vegetables and some of this fruit or whatever, you know, maybe if I save this, it'll be better for the next, you know, whatever season. Um, and we've kind of just reversed that. Like it, the education system, it only, it only goes, oh, it's all about your brain. Like, why aren't we 
putting a shitload of money into trades? Like, why aren't we putting it into people actually using their bodies, using their hands, using the skills? Because that's clearly a huge percentage of the population. Like, why aren't trade schools, you know, subsidized just as much as, you know, college is subsidized? You know, why isn't, if we could do it more builders, we could do it more mechanics, we could do it more of those, you know, like, why isn't that subsidized? Hells yeah. You know, so like we're, we're essentially valuing intelligence over everything else, whereas that's not the way humans evolved. And that's not the reason humans evolved, you know, is one of the reasons. So why don't we, you know, push it into all of the realms, like that, like led to our evolution and actually become, you know, very good at all of these things you know and i'm doing a, a science degree so like i'm essentially part of the problem but a lot of people they especially in science they they don't teach you to think like they teach you they teach you to answer like they teach you to here's a load of facts yeah okay you have to understand it but they don't teach you to ask questions you know like they don't teach you to question why like, like, here's one that always gets me, and I know we we're just like going about like doctors and stuff. Like, like if you ask a doctor, like, what does you know an ECG measure? An encephalic cardiogram. Yeah, what does that measure? And they'd be like, oh, you know, uh, you know, uh, wave patterns. There's an ECG. What's it? Let me look this up. <laughs> it's an electrocardiogram. You're talking about, or are you talking about an encephalo? I think I'm talking about an encephalo. You're talking about the brain or the heart. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Okay. Yeah. The brain, yeah. yeah. Anyway, getting me confused. And it's like, what, like, what, what is this actually measuring? And it's like, oh, it's measuring brain waves. Yeah, but what are brain waves? Yeah, silence. Like, it's like, like we have correlative data. We're like, oh, alpha brain waves correlate with this. Delta brain waves, this, theta, and this. And it's like, well, what, what is the actual brain wave? Like, what are you actually measuring? You know, so like, you're not actually thought to ask questions your thought information you know and, and this kind of it almost tells the snowflake generation that we have all the answers when we clearly fucking don't like but yeah i agree you actually covered my three points after you said your first two i was like oh yeah i've got my third one and then you fucking took that as well but yeah i think the the a, bit, a big one as well I, i'm not sure if you even said it oh you did actually but yeah that sense of entitlement just kills me and i think like we get asked a lot of questions about like from people being like oh oh i want to know what i want to know what you know uh where where can i where can i read that and it's like oh yeah just do you know read these books and read this research and stuff and it's like oh i don't really have time for that and it's like you know people people want to know everything and they want to be the best at whatever whatever it is but they don't actually want to put in any sort of work or the effort that is required to actually get there so you know that's one of the big ones and as you said you know that lack of taking ownership like that that again is a, is another one that really just kind of grinds my gears you know i made a post last week that caused a lot of people to get fucking angry because i was just saying basically that you know pretty much everything in your life is your fault <laughs> and i i know that the word the word fault maybe wasn't the right word to use um but at the same time like you, everything that happens in your life for the most part is the result of your decisions and if by owning by simply taking ownership of everything that happens in your life and recognizing that okay this is a really negative event but this happened as a result of me not acting in a certain way or not doing certain things then that is empowering and a lot and a lot of the snowflake generation look at it as being oppressive it, like look at it as if it, you know 
these negative things happen. I, I can't take ownership of them because, oh, no, the world is oppressing me. And I think taking ownership gives you the power and allows you to actually make better decisions in the future. And I think that's really important. Yeah, like, I just think people need to fucking read some books. Like, if you read, like, Gulag Archipelago, where your man fucking Alexander Solzhenitsyn was literally sent to a gulag like he was a communist and this is what fucking people are arguing for and they're like oh yeah let's get a bigger socialist state let's get basically a communist state and it's like well he was a communist like he supported communism and was still sent to a gulag right and then all he did when he was in there was literally take accountability for every single decision in his mm-hmm. life and he literally went through everything it was like well that was my fault i could have acted differently there and you know he essentially came to the conclusion where it's like, oh, well, like, you know, society falls because no one is willing to take personal accountability. No one is willing to take personal responsibility. Like there's, they willingly go along with, with the herd, which is the herd is saying like, oh yeah, like don't, it's easier if you just say it's someone else's fault rather than taking your own responsibility for the thing. When like realistically at the end of the day, like this, this is your life. Everything is your, your fault. You know, it, it is. You know, like, and that's, that is really a really fucking harsh thing to say when you're like, well, I got cancer. How is that my fault? It's hardly my fault. You know, like that doesn't mean like, just because it's your fault, like it is your body's fault. That doesn't mean that you caused it or that you should feel guilt or shame over that. It's still yours to own if you choose to, you know, but obviously that's not exactly what you want to hear when you're like, well, like I didn't smoke. I didn't fucking, you know, go out in the sun too much. And I didn't do all these things. It's, it's not really fair. That's the thing. This is what like the whole snowflake, snowflakey generation think. It's like, they think life should be fair. And it's like, who the fuck promised you that? Yeah, what like, <laughs> That's what happens when you give people participation medals and you tell kids, Oh, you, that's it. you like, can be like, whatever you yeah. want to be, you know? Yeah, it was like life isn't fucking fair. Like, how is it fair that you were just by the look of the draw, born in a Western civilization, born in the first world? Like, what was the look of the draw? Why weren't you born in fucking Africa, where there's fucking maggots eating through your skin? You know, and your the chance of you dying before you fucking turn six months old is like fucking ninety percent. You know, like, how is that fair? You know, so like, no one. I mean, no one ever said life was fair, and this goes back to kind of. Like we accept because we have it so fucking comfortable, you know, that there are these inherent rights. But you forget that all of those rights were fought for and were earned, you know. So you are living on essentially borrowed time because there is no no reason or right for you to actually have a life. Like it, the only reason you have that right is because someone built a nation or some people built a nation that afforded you that right like i i think it's like a miracle like we have our system is founded on like in ireland it's founded on english common law and english common law is a a fucking majestic piece of work because you know english common law essentially said you know you have all of the rights and the law is only there to kind of work out when your rights interfere with my rights you know and that where does that overlap happen but it's just assumed because like the english were at a time the most powerful empire probably on earth you know and they were like okay well it's assumed that you as an individual have all of the fucking rights you know yeah and so like english common law is pretty pretty fucking decent thing but <laughs> it, it was only there because people fought yeah. for it 
Um, what else did I want to say there that was important? Oh yeah, um, and also like one of the kind of side effects of like people not taking accountability and feeling entitled or whatever and always brushing things onto other people is that you actually lose the ability to critically evaluate yourself and actually identify your own mistakes. And without doing that, you cannot move forward as a person. Like at the moment, like on placement, one of the things we do is like every week, every week we get feedback from our educator. So basically what we do is we fill out the bottom half of the sheet and pinpoint the things that like we feel we need to work on or whatever. And then what the educator does is fill in the top part. So, you know, and I, I'm, I'm an incredibly harsh person, person on myself. And it's the reason that I'm able to kind of get better at, at things. And like my, my own evaluations will align exactly and even harsher, to be honest, with what my educator will say. Because I think that is probably one of the most valuable things you can get good at is being brutally honest and harsh with yourself. And if you, if you take feedback from people and you think, oh, Jesus, no, that's not true. Like, that's what most people do these days, I think, anyway, as opposed to, you know, thinking, okay, I see what this person is saying, where they're coming from. Now, what can I do to actually change that and move it forward? Um, would you agree? Are you harsh yeah, on like yourself? Way, yeah, the way, <laughs> oh, fucking ruthless. The way I look at it is, like, you, like, what do you think you're worth? Like, what do you genuinely think you're worth? Like, put a figure on it per hour. Let's just say it's 50 euro per hour. You are worth 50 euro per hour which is a decent enough wage, like, <laughs> you know, so we'll say you're worth 50 euro per hour. So think of all the interactions you have in that hour, all the things you do in the hour, because again, if you think of it, you are essentially what you repeatedly do. Like, so excellence is a choice. It's a habit, you know, so with that hour, with all those interactions, with all the stuff that you did in that hour, would you be willing to pay yourself 50 euro for that hour? You know, would you go, okay, well, in this role here, I'm supposed to be a mediator. I'm supposed to be the middleman here. Mm -hmm. Like, is my role as the middleman worth 50 euro an hour? Or is this just, am I just doing a fucking 30 cent job where it's like, yeah, yeah, cool, here's the message, blah, 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 fuck off. You know, it's like, that's okay. Well, then you're not, you're not worth the 50 euro that you say you're worth, you know? Is your role here as, you know, a boyfriend, a girlfriend or whatever? Like, are you, for that hour, giving it a hundred percent like would you pay yourself 50 euro to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend for that hour you know or are you just on your phone going oh yeah like well yeah cool great story yeah your day was great yeah who cares you know and <laughs> um, so like you, you have to be thinking in that that frame of mind like you want to be like what is like what am i worth and then am i actually showcasing the world that i am worth that like people always talk to me like not to me anyway but to me but not always to me but they always talk about oh i've been in this job for five years and i haven't got a promotion and i haven't done whatever and it's like when was the last time you read a business management book when was the last time you know you upskilled yourself in that trade and you're like oh never it's like well what do you deserve like why do, why do you think you deserve a promotion just based on the fact that you've been there for years you know like that's it's not a fucking guarantee like you know and that's not to say people don't get fucked over like you could be the best person fucking working there and you still get fucked over because of, you know, politics or whatever. But for the majority of people, you're not, your vision of yourself and what your word is not aligned with your actions. Mm -hmm. You know, so I would be 100% in for being brutally fucking 
sickeningly harsh on me. Oh, so that's a tip for you people this week is to actually fucking take out a little diary or piece of paper or whatever and write out the things you hate about yourself, the things that you do really badly, what lets you down, etc., etc. Because, you know, a lot of the things that journaling and, and gratitude and all that kind of promotes, like, you know, there's a big hype about journaling at the moment, is, you know, people will write down what they've done well and what went well for them. But fuck that, like, you know, that's, that, that's, that's a product of you identifying the things that you're bad at and the negative things in your life so that you can address them. Like, that is what leads to positive outcomes is addressing the negatives. You know, you can't just focus on, oh, I'm really good at opening doors for people. So I had a great day, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but you, you can do both. You yeah, know, of like, course. Like, like it's still important to, to recognize the good. <laughs> yeah, but it's like these are the areas that I'm really good at. So obviously you want to double down on your strengths and be like, okay, well, I'm going to make them stronger. Mm-hmm. But then you have to address like where am I weak? You know, what is, what is holding me back from actually achieving my goals overall? And this could be diet, health, fitness, fucking life, business, college, whatever the fuck. Like just go, okay, well, this is where I'm lacking and this is where I need to be brought up and this is where I'm fucking good at. So I want to remain being good at these things, but I just want to bring up my level in these other things. Well, yeah, I think that's enough talking shit. Yeah, enough talking shit. Today. Hopefully you're all, you know, motivated and fired up and ready to not do keto this week after that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Gary, you can sign out. I'm, I'm having enough talking shit. Yeah, right. So take home points from this podcast are that Low carb is a viable option, but ultimately when it comes to body composition, uh, calories are kind of the priority. So, you know, do something that you can actually adhere to that makes you feel good and that allows you to get in the most amount of nutrient-dense foods. And the second point would be that, right, doctors are awesome. Respect them. Stop being such a disrespectful little shit just because you read one article. (laughs) Um, And finally, take some fucking ownership of your life. Um... Stop feeling so entitled. Stop feeling like you're a victim. The world owes you nothing. You owe the world everything. Go out and be a fucking savage. And that's it from Triage for this week. Yeah, peace out.